0: We'll now turn to the preaching of God's Holy Word. The text, as mentioned previously, is Psalm 46. And after this Word of God has been proclaimed, let us respond unto the Lord Himself by singing to Him from Psalm 46, the stanzas 4 and 5. We finish our singing of this psalm. Brothers and sisters in the Lord Jesus Christ, Sometime early in the 1520s, Martin Luther wrote a hymn, you know it, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, and God's people ever since in various places throughout the world have been singing that hymn, we have it in our book of praise too, hymn 53, you see it on the board, we'll sing it at the end of this worship service. What is not always realized, though, is that this famous hymn of Martin Luther was composed on the basis of a psalm, in particular Psalm 46. And you can understand why Martin Luther went to Psalm 46 as well. If you take a closer look at that psalm, you see that it is divided clearly into three parts. The verses 1 through 3. And then there is that word sila. Sila means pause, rest. Also today, when we write music, perhaps for a choir or something, then there are certain words that are inserted into the musical score, which are not sung, but they tell the singers how they ought to sing. Sometimes when you see a piece of music, it may have adagio on top. That means, sing it slowly. Or there may be the words crescendo or decrescendo. Sing it louder. Sing it softer. Well, in the book of Psalms, we have some of those words too. And one of them is sila. Take a pause. Take a rest as you sing. That's why we also did that when we read it together. So the first part is the verses 1 through 3, and there you hear how there is obviously a great disturbance in creation. <clears throat> Even the mountains and the sea are being shaken. Secondly, the second stanza from 4 through 7 speaks about the holy temple, the tabernacle, and the nations are raging and moving against Jerusalem as we'll see in more detail (coughs) and then finally in the third stanza the Lord brings an end to war battle is no more well brothers and sisters all three of these things were very relevant very real for Martin Luther You see, in the first place, at that time, there was a great disturbance in creation. Not necessarily waters roaring, but there were a lot of people dying. Dying by the thousands, the tens of thousands, there was a huge epidemic. They simply called it the plague. Not only that, but Martin Luther, as you could understand, knew very well what it was to be attacked by people. There were many people who were attacking the church at that time. And finally, there was not, in Martin Luther's days, an end to war, but there was certainly a longing for an end to war. You see, at that time, there was the Peasants' War, there was the First Capel War, there was the Second Capel War, There was the Franco-Habsburg War. There were all kinds of wars going on. And so when there was this disturbance, this epidemic with the health of people, plus all the turmoil in the church, plus all of these political and military moves and battles, well, it's no wonder that Martin Luther went for this psalm and decided to compose a hymn on the basis of it, A Mighty Fortress is Our God, because that's exactly it, brothers and sisters. That whether the disturbance is in creation, or against, or even in the church, or if it's on the political scene, the answer is always the same. When we get scared, the Lord is our refuge. And so we'll follow that theme through this morning, The Lord Almighty is our fortress. This applies when creation is in upheaval, when the nations or the enemies are in an uproar, and finally, it's still going to apply when finally war is no more. In verse 2 of this psalm, there is a very strong confidence, an almost unreal kind of confidence. Therefore, we will not fear even though the earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. Clearly, the psalmist here, the sons of Korah, are saying, even if things change radically, one thing's not going to change, we're not going to give way to fear. We will remain Confident. Fear in the face of change. Normally, brothers and sisters, we get afraid or at least a little bit uncertain, anxious, when things start to change because we wonder what's going to happen. We even have that phrase, you know it, right? Fear of the unknown. That's fear, because we think something that we are used to might change, even in a big way. Here the psalm says, even if things become very unfamiliar, we will not be afraid. Now we're used to things changing. 25 years ago, when you wanted to send a letter... You licked a stamp. Today, most of the time, you click a mouse and you send off your email. Things change, sometimes even rapidly in a relatively short time. Who 25 years ago could have anticipated everything that's done by email and through the internet today? But there are Much bigger changes that are talked about today. And you hear it. There are scientists, there are lobby groups who say the change from letter mail to email is but small compared to other changes that are going on. For instance, they say there's climate change. And the scientists say this climate change could radically affect the way that we live. First of all, there was a lot of talk of global warming. Then that was changed so much, somewhat. And now there's talk of overall climate change, not necessarily always warming. But they say the climate, it's changing. and It's going to change in a way that we won't recognize things the way they currently are today. Not only change in the climate, we're told, but change in the animal world. There are certain species that are going extinct, maybe have gone, extinct, and this is going to change the animal worlds and everything that is involved in the cycles in that world. There's also other change, we're told. This change in resources, the forests are being cut bare and the fossil fuels are being taken up, used up. And so, with all of these changes that we're told about, you can understand, brothers and sisters, that at a certain point, people start to get worried. Who knows exactly how rapid the changes are happening? Who knows even if they are changing or if they're just part of regular cycles? All of those things are rather hard to discern. But when you're constantly bombarded with the message, things are changing, things are shifting, then also as God's people, sometimes we stand back and say, is it true? Is it not true? What will it mean? What will it not mean? And then people try to find a way to keep safety, to keep security, to keep prosperity through the coming changes. And so, for instance, they say we have to switch to green fuels because the oil is going to disappear one day. So then they try to find a way and make fuel out of corn. But then they get away down that path and they discover that, in fact, more fossil fuels are being used to create corn or turn corn into biofuel than just to burn the fossil fuels. So you see that human beings, they see problems, they see changes, and they try to find a way to get through the difficulties. And as God's people, how do we evaluate all of this? Well, of course, to begin with, we have the God of providence. You hear the prophets of doom. It's all going to fall apart, they say. We say, yes, but we know that the Lord, our God, he is in control of everything. That's what his providence teaches us. And so we can go forward in that confidence, still being careful still being stewardly about everything. But brothers and sisters, even though that's been heard and that's been preached before, the psalm this morning teaches us something beyond that. You see, on the one hand, you hear all around these warnings. The earth, the climate, the atmosphere, it's all changing. And you say to yourself, well, isn't that a bit radical? Aren't they exaggerating things sometimes? Well, yes, on the one hand, perhaps. But on the other hand, that's not radical enough. Because the change that the Lord speaks about here in Psalm 46 is a whole lot bigger, it's much grander, it's much more radical than anything you've heard from the Green Movement. This is not a change in the composition of the atmosphere with pollutants. This is not the disappearance of perhaps a few animal species. This is a change to the very Earth as we know it today. Even though the Earth be removed and though the mountains be carried into the midst of the sea. I don't know about you, brothers and sisters, but I've not heard anyone from the environmental movement say that mountains might be picked up and thrown into the sea. And creation changed in that way. Even environmentalists might find that to be a bit too radical. And yet it's here, in this psalm. What can this possibly mean? Even though the earth be moved or removed? Though the mountains be carried into the midst, into the very depth and heart of the sea? What kind of change is this? Well, it's the kind of change, brothers and sisters, that occurred... For instance, in the days of Noah, when Noah, the prophet of the Lord, said to the people all around, you see this all? The green trees, the grassy hills, all the animals. One day Noah warned, this is all going to be covered with water. Even the mountains. Mount Hermon is going to be covered with water. People said, ah, come on, Noah. What kind of foolish talk is that? Sure, there are sometimes earthquakes. Sure, there are sometimes big thaws and flooding. But mountains? Covered to the top with water? Stop talking nonsense, Noah. Get real. But as the Lord demonstrated, Noah was not talking nonsense. And the Lord made it happen. It was very real. People were living in a certain security zone. Things may change as time goes on, but at least the basics are always the same. So they thought. And then the Lord sent the great flood and they realized how terribly wrong they were. That was the days of Noah. My brothers, my sisters, what about today? What about us? We're here very near to the Bruce Peninsula, not so many mountains, technically speaking, in this area, but let's talk about another big piece of rock, the Bruce Peninsula. If I say to you today that it could very well happen that that Bruce Peninsula either slips and sinks into the Georgian Bay or into Lake Huron on the other side, What would you say? It's a pretty big piece of rock, the Bruce Peninsula. Could that move? Could that slip into the midst of the water? Would you say, come on, don't talk nonsense. The way we send mail may change, the atmosphere may change a bit, The living or extinct species on the earth may change a little bit, but the Bruce Peninsula, that's staying put. It's not going anywhere. The Lord says to you, brothers and sisters, that can happen. And you say, what? The Bruce Peninsula into the heart of the Georgian Bay? Really? Well, yes. Yes. This is what the Lord Jesus Christ said when he was speaking to the crowds and also then picking up on Psalm 46 and the words that are spoken there. There will be signs in the sun and the moon and the stars. And then here comes the words of Psalm 46. And on the earth, distress of nations with perplexity, the seas and the waves roaring. Some of the same language as Psalm 46, which is to say... There is a day coming when not only will the climate change, not only will the source of energy and resources change, but brothers and sisters, the whole earth is going to change. Everything as we know it is going to be radically altered at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ when he arrives on the clouds of heaven. That is going to be a shake-up, the likes of which has never been seen, never been experienced ever before, not even in the days of Noah. And my question to you this morning is, are you ready for that massive, creation-wide change. Do you know the way to get ready for that change? It requires something far more than tweaking the way you use energy. It requires far more than adapting to new technologies. That's not the kind of change that prepares you for the great and ultimate change. There's only one way to find your way safely through the change of all creation, and that is by having God as your fortress. Psalm 46 says it so very powerfully and beautifully, God is our refuge and strength, A very present help in trouble literally translated a very easy to find help in trouble. And someone might say easy to find. Is it so easy to find God? You can't see God. You don't hear God whispering in your ear. Where do you find God? Well, the very one brothers and sisters who picked up Psalm 46 when he taught the crowds, is the same one who once said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. There you have it. He is the way to the Father. Believing sincerely, wholeheartedly, with all your life in the Lord Jesus Christ, That is the way to God. That is the way to a strength, to a refuge, to a fortress that is so rock solid that even when the sun stops shining and the Bruce Peninsula falls away, you'll be safe, you'll be solid, you'll be in the fortress of the Lord our God. You see, the change that's needed for all of us to get ready for the big creation-wide change is simply to repent and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Sila. Take a pause. Think about that. Are you... Ready? Because between now and that great day, whenever it may be, it's not going to be easy. And getting ready is not only something for that day, but you have to be prepared ready every day because there's an attack going on. You may wonder, brothers and sisters, what is the connection between the first and the second stanza here? You have these massive, unexpected changes to creation, and then suddenly we read about this beautiful river, the bubbling brook streams, the city of God, the Gihon Spring outside of Jerusalem, and then we're on to nations which are surging and raging, all angry inside, how does this fit together? Well, you see, brothers and sisters, that in verse 3, the waters are roaring, they're all in a turmoil, and in fact, the word for the nations raged is exactly the same word as in verse 3, the waters roar, the nations roar, the waters rage, the nations rage, Just as a huge tsunami might come threatening against the shore and crash and flood for miles wide, so there is an attack. Nations are roaring and raging, coming up against the city of God. And yet, though the mountains may shake, though the mountains may be carried into the midst of the sea, There's another mount that will not be moved, verse 5. She, Mount Zion, the city of God, will not be moved. She will not be moved if the waters roar. She will not be moved if the nations roar either. You see, once again, there is this almost unreal confidence. Here is the city of God, Zion one kilometer by one kilometer on the top of a high hill. And it looks such an easy target. It only had one source of water, the Gihon Spring, which was not a very big source of water either. And so if you were a group of attacking nations ready to plunder Jerusalem, you would say, no problem, easy. Surround the hill with the armies, cut off the water supply, and the city will fall. After all, how long can people drag it out without water? They'll raise the white flag soon enough. And yet, here God's people, knowing full well how vulnerable they were from a military perspective, they say, we won't be moved, we'll be confident. Why? Because the Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our refuge. And with the eyes of faith, they saw that that actually very small spring of water, the Gihon spring, to their eyes looked to be a river. Brothers and sisters, there is no river. There is no actual physical river. the city of Jerusalem. It's just a free spring of water outside the city gates. And yet to the eyes of God's people in faith, it was as big and as generous as a river. It was like a river with streams and tributaries breaking off. Why? Not because there was so much water, but because the Lord was taking care of them. And they knew that with the Lord on their side, Even that tiny Gihon spring would be more than enough. That's the same type of faith that we need to have today. The church, be it this congregation here in Owen Sound or any other gathering of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church is really so small, so puny, in comparison to this huge world with all of the things it can assemble, with all of the temptations it can amass. And we might easily think, might as well throw up the white flag right now, we're doomed. How can a church ever stand from generation to generation to generation against the world and all of its wickedness and immorality? We're going down. People might be worried. But no. We can go forward, brothers and sisters, with confidence. Even though Satan and all of his amassed armies and allies might go at the very heart, the very stream of life, which is the Word of God, Yet we will remain confident. You see, the Lord Jesus Christ also spoke about streams. He said, if anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures say, streams of living water will flow from within him. Brothers and sisters, don't underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit working through the Word of God in the hearts of God's people. If God's people in the Old Testament could look at that little Gihon spring outside the city wall and say, we will not fear, we'll have water to drink, what about now, Today? When the source of the living water is not outside, but right within us. Whoever believes in me, Jesus Christ said, streams of living water will flow from within him. That came true on Pentecost Day. And we think too small about the power of the Holy Spirit through the powerful Word of God to stand up and resist the attacks of the worlds. Satan knows how powerful that word is. That's why he's constantly trying to attack it. That's why he's trying so hard to distract us, so that we'll dump all kinds of energy and enthusiasm into making cash, money, money, But we haven't got time and enthusiasm for the Christ and the Word of God. Satan loves to distract God's people with all kinds of different interesting things so that he slowly draws them away from the Word, which is the instrument of the Holy Spirit. See, Satan knows how to attack. He doesn't always have to come straight on, frontal attack. He'll come from the side and distract. Oh, the Bible's still on the shelf. It's even there on the dinner table. But if God's people in their minds and in their hearts are so busy with everything else in life that the word is not central, Satan knows he's having a successful attack. Or Satan will attack the way in which people interpret the Bible. So that they're still busy with the Bible and they're talking about the Bible, but they interpret it in a way that is unfaithful to the Lord himself. And Satan's smiling. And he says, look at that. These people think that they're following the Bible. Meanwhile, I'm twisting the way that they interpret the Bible. You see, just like the enemies of old would have zeroed in on that spring, the Gihon, Say, let's get that, and the whole city comes down. So Satan is zeroing in on the word of God, the love for that word, the faithful proclamation of that word, and he knows if he can cut us off from that, he will have won. And by now we might be scared, thinking, wow, that's so easy to do. Satan will topple the church without hardly any effort. But never underestimate the power of God. Brothers and sisters, just as the Lord, who is the Almighty, has been keeping His church from the attacks of Satan ever since our first parents fell into sin in the garden. This is nothing new for the Lord. He's been doing this for thousands of years. And so he will continue to keep his people. He is our fortress, Jacob's God. And just how powerful is this God of ours? Come, behold, says the final stanza, the works of the Lord. He's made desolations in the earth. But if you really want to get some sense of just how powerful he is, he makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow, he cuts the spear, he burns the chariot. Ever since Cain invited his brother Abel out into the field, human beings have been fighting Killing each other. It's gone on all the pages of the Old Testament, how many wars, how many battles, and it hasn't stopped. And then to bring things relatively up to date came the World War II. Nineteen thirty-nine to nineteen forty-five, six years of fighting, six years of bullets. Six years of bloodshed. Seventy-two million people died in that war, brothers and sisters, 72 million. That's twice the present population of Canada. Our whole nation died twice over, as it were, in World War II. And after that horrific war, the nation said collectively, that's it. No more bullets, no more battles, no more bloodshed, we don't have to do this anymore. The United Nations was born, 1945. And the sole goal of the United Nations was to bring an end to war once and for all, guess what? Hasn't worked. And there have been battles upon battles, and there have been millions upon millions of people who have died in battle ever since 1945. There are still people dying this very day because of war. Will it ever stop? The nations can't figure this out. They say to themselves, why don't we get it? Why do we keep shooting each other? Isn't there some way? Isn't there something we can do to just put an end to all these battles? There's not some way. There's not something. But there is one God, and of all the mighty miracles he has done, and they have been many, this will certainly be a grand one. At the very end, when the Son of God comes on the clouds of heaven, then the bow will be broken for the very last time, and the sword will be snapped, never to kill again, and the Sherman tanks will be destroyed, and the nuclear missiles will be neutralized, and there will be no more war. There will be peace forevermore. And the crowds, just like in the days of Noah may say, nonsense, it'll never happen, just look at history. Basis of the Word of God, we say, Be still. Quiet down. Sila. Quiet down enough to listen to God. For this is what He has to say I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth on that day when I, the Lord, go to war against war and I will be victorious. Brothers and sisters, this great Lord Almighty, the Lord of hosts, is in Jesus Christ and by his grace alone with us. The God of Jacob He is our refuge. Things are going to change in this world, the likes of which not one of us has experienced yet. But don't be afraid. Don't be worried. Don't panic. Believe, and you'll be safe in him. Amen.